This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. In K-12 classrooms everywhere, there are children at risk for being misunderstood, medically mislabeled, and educationally misplaced. Not limited to one gender, race, ethnicity, or socioeconomic group, these at-risk children are sometimes deemed abnormal rather than atypical and, in fact, may be gifted. Here with more on all of this is Emeritus Clinical Professor of Pediatrics at Upstate Medical University, Dr. George Starr. Welcome, Dr. Starr. Thanks for coming in. Good morning. So contrary to common stereotypes, giftedness is not synonymous with high academic achievement. And that stereotype we have of the gifted child doesn't really fit all gifted children. Tell us what they tell us a little bit more about what they sometimes can look like. Gifted children can have some very intense personality characteristics uh, and behaviors, and they can be problematic and, and difficult to parent and to teach. Some of these uh, characteristics might include uh, always interrupting and uh, argumentative, uh, resisting directions. The interesting thing is that uh, they often have a, uh, a good point to make when they argue with you. Uh, sometimes they're daydreamers and they appear uninterested in present activities or they can alternate between being very happy and very sad, may have explosive anger outbursts. Some of these kids love things like uh, uh, textures and colors and music, but hate, hate places like the school cafeteria because it's noisy and disorganized. Some of these kids will have pressured speech and always be on the move. Uh, they look hyperactive. So basically, that child that you're describing, or that kind of complex of behaviors, obviously not every child has all those behaviors, no. but these are a range of behaviors, really present as a challenging child. Yes. So along with that, there's a challenge to try to figure out what's going on with that child. And I think that there's, there's a range of categories that we try to compare or use as diagnostic categories. And the gifted child or this type of child that you're talking about could fall into ADHD, autism, Asperger's, OCD, mood disorders, any one of those, and we might miss the fact that, in fact, this is a gifted child. This is a child with high abilities, uh, and some of them are expressed in these personality characteristics and behaviors, yes. What's the working definition, or what what would you say the working definition of a gifted child is, though? I mean, I know New York State law says that gifted pupils shall mean those pupils who show evidence of high performance capability and exceptional potential in areas such as general intellectual ability, special academic aptitude, and outstanding and or outstanding ability in visual and performing arts. But it sounds to me like there's a lot more to it and that some of it is socially determined as to what we consider giftedness. That's correct, and every society has a different uh, construct of, of what a gifted individual might be depending on the requirements of the society. If you're in a, uh, uh, a primitive society, it might be the ability to hunt and find food. In our society, it's the idea of having a, concepts, ideas, innovation, uh, innovative thinking. And basically, right now, there's the problem that the kind of challenging behaviors that you have so clearly uh, outlined can create such a challenge for parents and or their educators that these kids can be clearly mislabeled and misdiagnosed. 
And that's partly because we tend to focus on the the problem behaviors when we don't know what to do with them, and we miss the whole child. Uh, And what we really need to be looking at is the whole child and a balanced diagnosis that includes the problem behaviors but also identifies and includes their strengths. So it seems to me that one of the problems underlying this, too, along those lines, is that there's a prevalent belief out there that one cannot both be gifted and struggling in school. And that's really not the case. That's not the case. Although most uh, gifted children will do well in school, some of them do have some uh, problems like reading uh, disorders or emotional disorders or might be uh, on the spectrum, uh, Asperger's type problems. and sometimes these will mask uh, their true abilities. Yeah, I mean, to me, many gifted children obviously will be could go on. I mean, they may experience the world with heightened, vivid, and, and you know, intensity and a response and sensitivities. So they might end up being a creative artist or a scientist or an inventor, and but they seem odd or they seem out like outliers. And that's because their their abilities are so far above the rest of us uh, that they just appear somehow uh, out of out of our range and out of our understanding and you and that's I think the point here the the fact that we misdiagnose or mislabel has to do with a lack of understanding but also how does the how does training play a role here or the lack thereof in terms of being able to diagnose these kids my concern is that our current medical training uh, is pathology based is based on finding problems and then fixing problems. And there's very little emphasis put on identifying strengths and a balanced diagnosis. I was fortunate to have training in, uh, in looking for a balanced diagnosis, and that's what helped me with the kids I work with all the years in practice. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen here with pediatrician Dr. George Starr, and we're talking about the potential of misdiagnosis of gifted children. So what, what are some of the consequences of this mislabeling? What happens to these kids when they're mislabeled? When they're mislabeled and misunderstood, they're often put in uh, settings or classes that uh, are uh, hopefully, uh, or people hope will correct the uh, challenging the problem, behavior. The, cha- the challenging behaviors. Uh, when those challenging behaviors are actually, when uh, if the child were to put in, be put into something like a gifted uh, class when those are available would actually help this child excel and be a, a top-notch student. And it seems to me that, that there's also this expediency of labeling where in order to get funding and find reimbursement for the services, they have to kind of put a label on a kid and that label can be very damning and very limiting in terms of the way that they're being um, approached. Absolutely, and when people often, when a child receives a label, people often stop seeing the child and only see the label that's sort of stamped on their forehead and on their school cumulative folder. I think one other thing that is really important to understand about children and all children, not just gifted children, is that there's a lot of variability in the way they develop and that there needs to be that kind of openness. Once you label, you really kind of box a child as opposed to giving them the full breadth of the, the fact that they may be changing quite a bit over time. Yes. You agree with that? Oh, absolutely. So from your own experience, tell us, give us some examples of what you've observed in terms of this problem. 
I have a couple of vignettes that I put together as part of this talk. Some of them are out of my own experience, some of them out of uh, things I've read. Uh, for example, uh, I found a, a history of a child who was, uh, oh, uh, an upbeat boy, although socially awkward, burned by numerous food allergies, strong aversions, hated haircuts, hated blue jeans, hated chocolate. He felt things very deeply, uh, and those aversions were matched by equally consuming passions. He would not allow himself to go inside until he made 23 consecutive free throws uh, on a basketball court, even if it meant missing dinner. He would play video games for up to 10 hours at a time, and his mother got so upset she called the, lo the local paper to complain about what she called the dark side of Nintendo. <laughs> now, this is a child, you know, when you think about it, it presents a whole set of problems. And yet when you look at the outcome, he was now uh, the youngest tenured at 31, the youngest tenured professor at the Wharton School of Business. He earned a PhD in three years. He's published more papers in seven years than many of his older colleagues. He's been an advisor to Google and big business uh, on workplace dynamics. He's a New York Times frequent contributor, and his credo is helpfulness. So here's a youngster, helpfulness. Yeah. So this is a youngster, you know, if a parent brought this child to your office with that original set of symptoms, you would start looking for all kinds of therapy for him. And, yet and might even put him on medications. Put him on medication, whatever, yeah. And uh, yet you look at the outcome on this on this youngster and you can see what the potential is. Well, one would hope somewhere along the way he was recognized as having these gifted qualities and someone stepped evidently, forward. Evidently that happened. To help nurture yes. it. But I guess what we're saying is there are times when these children are not properly identified and by being mislabeled and by being miscategorized, perhaps all that potential could be potentially lost. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So, um, Let's get back to this notion of training. I mean, why do you think at this point people are, I mean, do you think the factor of elitism that this notion of, of giftedness engenders is, plays a role here? I mean, people think That's not that my sense of it. My sense of it is more that our medical training, uh, really there's so much material to be covered on, on the uh, problems that we see and the identification and treatment of problems that very short shrift is given to uh, what I, again, talk about as a balanced diagnosis and identifying strengths. And when I work with medical students and residents, what I try to teach them is, is to look at the whole child. And for every problem they identify, to try to identify a strength um, because this is what our, our child brings to the interaction. And when we look at the entire child, we can have a better sense of what what their potential is. And the idea that each child is unique, and as I said Absolutely. before, may have a different trajectory in yes. terms of how they develop as opposed to some kind of a um, typical, normal, canned way of developing. Every child really has different strategies and different ways of learning and Absolutely. developing. Yes. Um, let's get back to the consequences, though. With these kids, when they're mislabeled, um, it also can lead to a lot of social um, ostracism and the fact that they can feel bullied and, and just kind of marginalized. Yes, that's correct. And you ha have you seen that in your practice as well? Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. I read an, a statistic that stated that mm. as many as 20% may drop out of school and that um, many seek homeschooling and even early college as a suitable alternative because they can't really fit in anywhere. Um, 
and some even, and some famous people we know have even bypassed higher education. I mean, Bill Gates, yeah, Bill Gates stands out as a perfect example, and he just, <coughs> you know, I'm off, I'm out of the, I'm out of here, I'm going to yep. do my thing elsewhere, and yes. there are probably many, many more examples of that. Ab yes, there are. So, um, basically, what is the takeaway for all of this? I mean, we know that funding now is scarce for the gifted programs. I think you alluded to the fact at one point that even these programs that once existed called gifted and talented programs, there's very little funding left for those. More of the funding's going to the children who are having learning problems, and that's appropriate, but we're also missing out on providing uh, good programs for the children who are really the future of our country and the future of our society. Uh, and so I think there's a, we're, there's a loss there that and perhaps the pendulum will swing back and we'll begin to recognize these gifted children and, and provide better services for them. So when you say you want, it, you want to avoid labeling or you want to basically balance the, the, the diagnosis and approach, I mean, what type of intervention then should be done at this point, as you see it from your perspective? What I would like to see is that people working with children in education, in, uh, in medicine, uh, in psychology, um, look at the, th the entire child again, at the whole child, rather than just going for a set of, of behaviors, looking for a set of behaviors that describe a, uh, a syndrome or a uh, disorder. Uh, and it requires a change in thinking and a change in the education of people in these fields. And basically to support the disability side of it or the problem side or the behavioral challenges potentially and also to encourage or help develop all the strengths that all are the there. All the strengths, absolutely, yes. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. My guest has been Emeritus Clinical Professor of Pediatrics at Upstate Medical University, Dr. George Starr. Thanks so much again. And I'm thank Linda, you. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.